0: I'm Woigt, the CEO of Catalytic, and this is Unbundled. In this series, I help to demystify technology in the world of business. Join me as we explore how technology can make your business better. In this episode, we're chatting about the future. We're talking about work trends, digital landlords, and digital escapism. By the end of this episode, you'll have a clearer idea of the key future trends that you need to plan for. I'm very honoured today to have uh, podcasting and thought leadership royalty in my my presence. I'm joined by Bronwyn Williams from Flux Trends and also the co-author of The Future Starts Now. Uh, Bronwyn, welcome.
1: Thank you very much for hosting me today.
0: Tell us a little bit about your, uh, what do you do for a living and why you, yeah.
1: Well, the sort of flippant way to put it is that basically I get to read interesting things and then talk about them for a living. So it's a nice work if you can get it, <laughs> but you have to sort of catch up with the rest of us who have been doing this sort of expert journalist role for quite a long time. But at Flex Trends, what we really try and do is we try to make sense of the world so people understand it, warts and all, what's going on in the world around us, because that's a, that then enables us to make better decisions about the future. So what we're really trying to do is to sell people confidence in their decision making ability, that they have the information around them and they also have a clue as to how their decisions could end up panning out for better or for worse. Because unfortunately so many of the things we try and do to fix the world around us end up making things worse due to those pesky unintended consequences that we just don't really like to think about.
0: Unintended consequences, I love that. So let's get right to it. Um, Something that I've been um, pondering for quite a bit and and i'm battling to work it out is um seeing that it looks like uh, and maybe you can confirm it looks like this remote work or work from home is now it's a trend it's here to stay and the one thing in, in my life i can't work out is why did it take a pandemic for it all of a sudden to be to seem so logical
1: well, I think that's a tricky one. People like to see remote work and office work as being either or. Either the world is going to go full remote, or it's going to go full office. And it's not quite as simple as that. We have to kind of remember that we have offices for a reason that we could have, as you said, been working from home since the 80s, since we got landlines in our homes, right? We could have been doing yeah, these things. Yeah. But there's a reason why we like to get people together. Some people work better in close proximity. There's also much quicker communications flows. When everything is logged and typed and you know put into those platforms, that we're using for remote work, we do tend to lose a bit of efficiency along the way. And they started to kind of backs that up, especially as we've seen this sort of global work from home experiment that you mentioned. Yeah. The, there is academic data that shows that people that are working from home end up working longer than people that work in the office environment, even when you take traffic into consideration. So if you're working eight hours in an office and you are spending another hour in traffic, now when you're working from home, you're not working nine hours. You actually end up working around about 10 so up to two hours more than what you normally would be doing. That's just due to the fact that at home you're a bit more distracted. Maybe you want to take your shower through, through the middle of the day, maybe you're juggling kids and homework, or maybe you just feel less energized because you can't, don't have that energy of your colleagues around you mm. or maybe the, as again the, the communication flows tend to break down so instead of being able to ask your colleague next to you for the number that you might need you've now got to send them a formal request through a slack channel or a microsoft Teams and wait for that information to get back to you so in terms of productivity and efficiency there are trade-offs over there of course many people still prefer the the flexibility and the comfort of being able to work at home in your pajamas but that of course is once again more preferable to people that have nice homes and cozy pajamas to work in. Yes, we have to yes. be quite realistic about the fact that many workers' home conditions are less pleasant than their office. Conditions. Yes. So there are reasons to have people in office and there are reasons why employees, in particular, want to work from home. So there's going to be some sort of balance there. And already we'll we're starting to see, looking at your more sort of advanced economies, what's happening with the sort of return to the office in that office-based jobs are now being offered premiums in terms of salaries because employers understand the value of having a team around them Ah, that they can keep an eye on. So that's quite interesting. So as we sort of see, once again, those unintended consequences, you might have to give up a bit of a premium on your earning capability if you want more flexibility working from home. So never never anything entirely simple or black and white when it comes to trends. There's always an equal and opposite reaction.
0: uh, And and you mentioned such pertinent things now because um, a lot of people that I I just uh, um, I think it's anecdotally Everybody that you speak to and uh, So how's the work from Oh we're so much more productive And one of the key questions is um, How do you know um, Did you did you land more sales Did you uh, make more money Did you improve your GP Or were you just sitting on uh, Video calls the whole day Like you said I've, I've gone from 8 hours or, or 7 hours to 10 And there's just more chat But um, there's not really general output
1: you're also not being able to compare your productivity because you're working by yourself, right? Just so mm. you're comparing yourself to yourself and you think you're doing quite a good job.
0: Yes.
1: <laughs> Whereas when you're in an office, it's quite easy for, for your manager or for your for your, the person paying the bills to kind of point out who's slacking off there. And that's, of course, the other thing to note, that the whole mm. remote work world does preference the best in fields winning and winning big. To use a sort of Trumpism, which I think is quite a sort of pertinent as to what's going is, on in the world right is, now. Yeah. That's a macro trend. Anywhere you look, winners are winning big and losers are losing hard. And that is an unfortunate side effect, once again, of working from home. So if you are an unusually productive, independent worker, this world of work is going to suit you perfectly. Okay. You're going to be rewarded for that. If you are able to work productively for those ten hours, you know, you're gonna outperform your colleagues hugely. The other thing that remote work has done is a allowed bosses to start surveilling staff more within their homes. When you don't be, when you're not able Mm. to manage a team in an office space, you have to start then managing that team using other things like remote software and like that sort of spyware that checks whether how many times you're going for a pee break. Mm. So you actually end up getting almost more micromanaged from home than you would be in the workplace. Yes. Because everything becomes quantified. Everything becomes digitized and so what becomes digitized can be measured, can be managed and can be measured and managed in a much less personal way. Mm. So if you are a good people person, you might be able to sort of brown nose your way into a promotion in an office environment, but in a more work from home environment where it's more quantifiable outputs, puts that start measuring employee A from employee B, mm. your best workers and will end up being more rewarded. So depending on your personality type and your working style, you might have an incentive to go back to the office. I'm just kind of trying to tell you that. That's there. interesting. A okay. lot of promotions in an office space are based on relationships, right? Yes. And that, that's another point that I also want to just address there, yeah. that not only does the sort of remote working and the digital surveillance of staff normalization really does put focus on the differences between productivity. It's also a sort of really negative thing that comes about there in that your lines of hierarchy and your relationships get baked in. There's no room for sort of serendipitous relationships to develop Mm. as they would in a face-to-face environment, which means in other words, once again, your winners win big and your losers lose hard. If you don't have interpersonal relationships, you're more likely to be passed over for a promotion or not given an opportunity to work on a new project that might extend you and put you into a whole new career path, which is interesting.
0: And and that was actually one of my other questions is is, uh, based on what you said now is is, um, I'm sure everybody if they had to judge themselves would think they're super productive but uh, you know how would you really know so would you say that that then um, can tend to make people feel more unhappy in their their work so so I refer to this um, well dare i say trend uh as a sort of this COVID midlife crisis where um there's a lot of people that i know that just in the last 18 months just upped and left their jobs and it's it's like uh were you planning for it or no 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 just uh at the, at the time was right or whatever so would you say that this i almost want to say uncertainty because of the this this lack of interaction at the office would would. People tend to make people feel more Sort of unhappy in terms of what they're doing
1: It could, it depends whether you get your satisfaction From your job, from your paycheck and from the task Itself or whether parts of the reason Why you work in a particular environment is the 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 non-tangible Benefits that come with that, which could be Relationships that you enjoy interacting With, it could Hmm. be an environment that you like being in I mean there's a reason all those big Silicon Valley Companies spend all that money on those sort of homey Based office spaces With the gumball machines in the corner and all the rest of it That was a kind of a perk a reason why people wanted to work in that environment made them sort of feel good about themselves, increase their social status, and all the rest of it. So those perks kind of fall by the wayside. It really focuses your attention on the actual work you're doing, whether you like that or not, mm. which would cause many people to reevaluate.
0: Okay. Interesting Okay, so let's go to the technology component So um, I think uh, as we've now seen And I must be honest with you I don't think it would would last as long as as it has I I thought it was just going to be a bit of a fleeting uh, fashion trend And then it's over But uh, let's say now in this remote working environment um, Exactly as you said earlier We now tend to to, um, uh, go towards technology Because technology is now going to We've got to digitize everything and technology is going to fix all of the problems That we have and measure and all, all of this So in one of the, uh, your Articles that I read you referred To um, the term digital Landlords so can we unpack That a, a little bit
1: yeah, so Digital Landlords is kind of a metaphor that I've been using to speak about the software as a service world that we're in. So of course all Kevin Kelly and Co. and all the rest of them have been speaking about sort of software eating the world and all of that. But one of the side effects of the software as a service world is that we're no longer owning the platforms and products that we use as businesses and as individual consumers. Rather, we're renting access to them. And of course, many futurists and train analysts have talked and talked at nauseam about things like, you know, Uber allowing you to buy mobility rather than own a car. So you just Mm. buy the ride. You don't actually own the asset itself. We're also seeing this trend playing out in the actual property market, of course, like more and more people renting, less and less people owning houses. But in the digital space, particularly from a business perspective, it opens up a whole lot of new cost-benefit trade-offs. So I like to sort of refer to it as the difference between efficiency and resilience. It's, of course, very efficient and very cost-effective to use a software platform to use a cloud-based service provider to provide your call center software, for example, your mm. accounting software, your customer databases to host it in a cloud-based platform. But when you do that, you don't actually own anything that resides in that cloud. Mm. You... Pay for access to it. And as soon as you start to rely on those software platforms for access to critical data or for critical digital infrastructure, that digital landlord that really does own the software, really does own the the cloud-based server, where your dad lives, kind of has a bit of leverage over you, much like a property landlord would mm. have to change the terms and conditions to change the rents that you pay. And you increasingly, increasingly become a captive audience as these software as a service businesses scale due to once again economies of scale. Mm. So you have less and less choice. So you're kind of working in a very monopolistic you know, marketplace, you don't actually have a lot of choice to go to another service provider unless you choose to build it yourself. But then of course that system costs you a lot more money. Mm. So the trade-off mm. is there between efficiency and resilience. And to give a sort of more consumer based example, which many people would sort of understand a bit more, we can look at what happens if you have devices like a Kindle. You might purchase mm. books on that device, but you don't actually own that book. You just own the right to access that book. Yes. And of course there was that hilarious case study where a couple of years ago Kindle deleted all the copies of one particular publisher's version of george orwell's 1984 ironically it was actually that title they deleted off all of those devices because the publisher that had sold people that ebook didn't have the proper publishing rights to distribute it mm. but as the purchaser you've paid the money but now you yes. don't have access to the thing that you think you own you don't own anything in the digital world if you are accessing it through a digital landlord
0: and uh, in, in the world of business It fascinates me how we um, you, you know, our perceptions work around that It's it's almost like some of those big brands There's just uh, automatic Trust without the understanding of what that Potential trade-offs are um, To give you an idea, when when uh, A customer buys a service from us and, and we've got our master service Agreement, you know, they can send it to a lawyer And go through it and say I don't like this or I don't like that uh, In the uh, de- uh, in the world of a Microsoft or a Google, they send you the terms and conditions and there's nobody to negotiate with it. You either agree or you don't and 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 yet people accept that, but in, in you know in in other you know sort of more pertinent scenarios then then you know they they actually want to um, uh, you know go through it and and Sort of have their way around it. So, do you think that um, business value understand the data th- th- that they have on those platforms? And because uh, I almost get the impression that uh, people say, "But you know, uh, you know, what is what is Google going to want to do with my little business's data, or, or something like that?"
1: Well, you have to sort of separate the risk out. There is the sort of critical risk that you're speaking about—that something goes wrong, the platform loses your information, gets hacked, or whatever. Mm. Those are generally known risks, and I think that they're very well understood by businesses. You know, understand that you have to sort of trust your stuff to someone, whether it's a bank or a platform. But I think perhaps what is maybe under understood is the financial risks of using these platforms when they can change their terms and conditions and increase the pricing quite dramatically. And you kind of have all that sunk cost in the platform and you kind of just have to keep on paying the bill, however much those those fees escalate. But looking even further ahead, we've also got to be very concerned about the sort of rising trend of what they're calling corporate denial of service attacks. Mm. And this is when you have a more sort of oligarchical or a monopolistic kind of platform based business or service industry. We only have a couple of service providers providing critical business services to that industry. Hmm. And when those service providers collude together to deny your business the ability to trade using that piece of infrastructure Mm. and this can happen when your business might get caught on the wrong side of the zeitgeist or what is politically correct and those platform-based service providers do not want to be associated with your business so they could deny to host your data anymore they might give you like a bank could do actually with your bank account say you've got 24 hours to remove your data off our servers we will no longer host your data and if there only are three or four companies are offering that service, what do you actually end up doing? So that becomes quite a systemic risk. It also means that your IT risk is almost dependent on your CEO's Twitter personality, which should terrify mm-hmm. anyone <laughs> working in risk, right? <laughs> <You know? laughs> because individuals can do terrible things, right? Yes, yes. And that could trigger one of those so-called corporate denial of service attacks. It's a real risk, businesses should be thinking about that going forward, particularly as the whole software as a service industry does tend to like economies of scale and does tend to sort of favor industries where there are very few players offering those critical sort of touch points you know, that you require.
0: I think we saw that uh, with uh, Donald Trump and Huawei where, where um, some of the American uh, software service platforms just didn't have apps That were supported in our way And, and local customers, here go, but yeah, it's running Android So it should work, and you go uh, Are you watching the news? It's, They've denied it, you can't this It is what Good it luck. is <laughs> um, So then uh, the, the next thing for me Then is um, In this So, so I almost get the impression or the feeling that, uh, and I think you almost spoke, spoke to that a little bit earlier in terms of how business has to mitigate this work from home scenario where they're going to say, I'm going to pay my, some, some resources more to come to the office. Because one of the things that, that I've been seeing is, is there's this general trend, um, and you know, I spoke about it a little bit, um, of, um, my time is my own now, so the business must must fit in, in with me. And um, I might want to move to Cape Town or George or or Beaufort West, for that matter. Who knows? And I can do my work from anywhere. Um, but there's implications to the business. So, um, how does how does business uh, mitigate or or deal with this uh, sort of changing employee? Um, I almost want to say demands and and. Uh, Almost what I want to term it, This general dissatisfaction w- What's happening in the world at the moment In order to make sure that the business Still gets uh, the best uh, bang for their buck Because like you said Ultimately that's why people get paid To, to do what they do
1: Yeah, so again there You've got quite a big trade-off there And it's a classic trade-off Between freedom and security, right? So most of our working relationships Set up in this post-industrial Sort of knowledge economy That we kind of function in today Are set up around That you give up some freedom In terms of your time in exchange for a salary which gives you a certain degree of financial security. Mm. You are guaranteed a certain paycheck at the end of the month if you have an employment contract in exchange. You give up a certain number of hours of your day. Most of our employment contracts are set up based on selling time. So in when you sell your time to get that security of a paycheck, you have to give up some of your freedoms. But now with people working at home, you kind of have people saying, but I'm delivering the same amount of productivity I had previously. Why can't I get the same paycheck? But your boss that's now monitoring you through your computer spyware and all, the, all those sort of creepy platforms that they're enabling you to sort of check how exactly how you're using those hours are saying, but wait a minute, you might be able to do the job that you were doing in the office in four hours a day, but we are actually paying you for eight hours of your time. An employment contract is a time-based contract in most cases. So what we're kind of going to see going forward is a splitting of parts. Again, if you are a very productive person, if you are a valuable asset to the people that pay you, you're increasingly going to be able to write your own paychecks and demand your own demand. So if you are very good at your job, No one can do what you do. Your boss is going to have a very hard time telling you that you can't work from your villa in Cape Town or whatever the case may be and around the world, whatever you want. If, however, you are a more, let us say... In the middle of the bell curve kind of employee You're going to have to start to Expect one of two things, either to See your employment contracts switch From being time-based and very Secure in terms of what you own, earn Towards being productivity Based contracts, almost oh. more like Freelance contracts, as as in You get paid when you complete X amount of tasks However long that takes you Which is a more fair trade-off, right Because you're getting paid now for productivity Or you're going to have to submit To increasing degrees of in- home surveillance or to going back to the office place yes. so in other words if your boss can trust you to do what you're doing you're going to be able to get more and more freedom if there is any question that your productivity is declining that you are taking out 10 hours to do what used to be an eight hour job or that you're not actually being as productive as you were previously you're going to have to submit to either more as i said either either more surveillance or to more outcomes based pay packs so going forward as i'd like to say in the future Salaries are only are going to be the sort of jobs that you don't want Because they're the jobs that are going to come With lots and lots of restrictions on your freedom okay. Whereas freelance jobs are kind of the ones that you do want But they are only going to be available to the best of field I really want to make that point That in the yes. new world of work the winners is really in every field. Every field becomes a rock star field. <laughs> so those bell curves become a lot, shall we say, sort of skinnier as, yes. as time goes on, okay. uh, which is which is something we should all be concerned about. Again, if you're very good at what you're doing, this should be marvelous news. If you are maybe not, maybe you should be slightly concerned.
0: No, that, and I think that's the that's the interest. You've answered a lot of questions that I that I actually had because I also wanted to ask uh, this this general trend of the side hustle. Do you think that's a trend to stay?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's actually quite positive. So from my perspective, and I do have a sort of academic background in economics, all as much as I work in the sort of futures and trends space, I think that we spend far too much time obsessing over employment figures, and we should spend more time thinking about independence ratios. In other words, what percentage of our population is financially independent? from the state and what percentage of our population is dependent on the state for basic survival. I think that's a much more robust ratio to sort of look at the health of an economy compared to just pure employment figures. Because pure employment figures, of course, don't cover the people that are freelancers, people that are very, very small traders, people that are finding a way to eke out a living outside of that formal employment contract. And that formal employment contract, that trade-off of your time in exchange for a secure salary is going to become a less and less normal thing. And in fact, mm. that, that sort of shocks someone who's, who lives in the world today. But let's mm. be honest, salaries are a very new thing. They sort of only became the norm just around about the time of the First World War. We have not had a huge amount of time where most of the population has been dependent on on salaries and we're going to have to understand that that was probably the exception rather than the rule when it comes to the whole history of humanity and Hmm. how we succeed as economic beings or econs if you want to put it that way in an economy going forward
0: Fascinating Fascinating Okay Um then I want to actually read a quote um, out of one of your articles, which I loved, because, and you referred to it uh, at the beginning of this discussion where we, where we spoke, to, spoke about this digitized world. And um, you wrote and you said, In a digitized world where human touch or personal relationships are the last frontier of competitive advantage and i just I just love that because I fundamentally believe in that, and I think in the, in the world of technology we uh, everybody tends to think that technology can can um can fix a lot of the let's call it the people problems that we have so uh you know I don't have to have a call center because I'm going to have a bot that's going to answer and this and that, and I think you know we'll continue to innovate in that sense, but ultimately, my fundamental belief is that people still want to deal with people um and, and I think sometimes we, uh, as business, we try and find shortcuts, but, but it's still a people, it's still a people game. And now in this, and this is where this work from home or this remote working story now becomes a little bit difficult from the business's perspective because people, people tend to be less accessible. It's exactly like you said, you know, I'm going to send a, a Slack message or a team message or a, or an email. My, my pet hate the most unproductive thing in the world to do. Um, and then you, you spoke, you spoke About um, this uh, digital escapism, where where people are now more and more hiding away from the real world, and and I think it's happening in the world of of work as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I like, I like that, that quote that you pulled out because I think that's an important point from, again, a business risk point of view and also from an employee point of view. If you're looking at the future of work over there, whatever can be digitized can be replicated and as is such not a competitive advantage. Yes. So we have to understand it can make your life more efficient and we should be automating away all those inefficiencies. Absolutely. But it no mm. longer becomes a competitive advantage. It's just a base level of productivity. And I think okay. that that sort mm. of starts to translate into this virtualization of everything because when we're trying to sort of find a a place for ourselves in the real world it can feel very very overwhelming and let's be honest we are in south africa right now an awful lot of people's day-to-day lives are a struggle not a pleasurable experience
0: Hmm.
1: so we're starting to see as virtual technology and digital technology becomes more accessible and it does, costs do tend to to tend towards zero when it comes to anything digital, anything technological, again because it's not necessarily a point of competitive advantage, it can be scaled we see that as those platforms become more accessible to -to day-to-day people, we start to have more and more value in our virtual lives and our sort of social credit that Uh we sort of start to accumulate and to, to be slightly sort of philosophical and go back to sort of biblical terminology, you know your, your heart is where your treasure lies, right? So yeah. if your points and your social status and your social credits and your value starts to be accumulated on digital plan- channels, whether that is through a following on an Instagram or whether that is through your popularity on TikTok or whether that is through your, your Reddit avatar persona, whatever that case might be, the more value we find in our lives in virtual space spaces, the more valuable that part of our world becomes compared to our physical reality. So, of course, there's sort of huge implications there in terms of our mental health and wellness and, and how great it really is for the general human experience to digitize ourselves. I think from a more sort of philosophical point of view, once again, the more we make ourselves like machines, the less valuable we are as individuals to ourselves and to anyone else. So, mm. as we say, tend to make ourselves as human beings become more like machines and to compete with machines as we sort of teach children in school to become coders rather than to become thinkers. You know, we're actually doing those children a disservice because we're turning them into, again, interchangeable human resources rather than individuals. So that is the unfortunate thing with the digital worlds and digital lives and digital credits that we're building. They are, to a large degree, artificial, and as such, they might not be quite as fulfilling as a real-world experience. Also a great excuse for politicians and for business people that have accumulated huge amounts of wealth, that have been the winners in this winner-takes-all economy, to say, oh, it doesn't really matter, you know, if you live in like a tiny shoebox and you barely have two meals a day in the real world. You know, you've got this marvelous mansion you can play in, your virtual landscape, and, you know, you've got, look at this richness of the virtual world, can become a bit of an excuse. Use for business, public, and private sector leaders who have failed to make real improvements in real lives. So again, when it comes to productivity, we've always got to think, what's actually been improved and what's actually been improved by technology? Have real things been improved or have sort of digital distractions been Hmm. improved? Where is productivity coming from? Where are those gains in our technology going? Are they going to fix real problems or are they going to sort of paper over real problems with... Digital distractions
0: oh, That's so much to think about um, and, and, I, and I mean <clears throat> That was one of the questions That you raised Is, is who stays behind To fix the, the real world problems Now I take <laughs> myself As an example now And I mean I'm, I've, I've Worked virtually all of my life in the technology sector, but I'm still, it's still about people. You know, when I phone the bank, I've got, I've got my relationship manager that I phone and I don't want to interact with. There's still a person that, because I've gone and I've built a relationship and I've explained to them, you know, what my scenario is and that, uh, that person, uh, no machine can replace what, what that person can do. So I think to, to then, um, This is such a great conversation So I think sort of for me to wrap up If uh, And we we always try and make things practical So If I'm a Let's call it a small to medium business owner in South Africa at this point in time, um, with all of this, um, can I say, future flux that's uh, that's going on? Um, what advice would you would you give a business owner? What what must I focus on?
1: Well, I think we'll pick right back up on those last comments that, that we were making over there, and that is, if you really want to be successful in the in the, the medium term, you should be really looking at how you can solve real problems. And of course, every business is designed to solve a problem. If you're not solving a problem, you're not going to be in business for very. Long. Mm. But if you're looking for a competitively robust space to get into, look at solving real problems. That's the great thing you're living in South Africa. We've got a lot of real problems, not a lot of made up problems. So real problems like looking at particularly real things and specifically energy supplies, water supplies, food supplies, you know, mental mm. health of people after living through <laughs> like a like a pandemic, right? So can you solve a real problem for a real human being? You're going to probably be in business for a lot longer than someone that is making up sort of virtual problems to solve and to sell uh, because that's a much more competitive space and the barriers to entry in the digital space are of course much lower which makes Mm. it attractive but again the margins are going to diminish there so look look to solve real problems that'll be my single piece of advice Okay,
0: thank you very much. That was a great conversation. Thanks for listening to Unbundled, brought to you by Catalytic, a series that aims to demystify technology so that you can make smarter decisions in your business. Remember, you can listen to all our episodes on the Cliff Central app or website, and for added convenience, you can subscribe to a podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen. Um, if you're looking for help with your communication tools in your business, uh, visit us at dot cliffcentral.com